is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey there, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 299, and what we are calling... Texas Chainsaw Massacre Week with the new film coming out Friday, February 18th at time of release on Netflix. Before we get going, if you like what you were hearing, please, if you haven't already, it would mean so much to us if you wrote us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us an incredible amount. Also, if you'd like to watch the video version of The Boot Crew, you can now do that with our show on Bloody Disgusting TV, which is available on Roku, Sling, Vizio Smartcast, and more. And one more thing, we'd like to invite you to check out another new podcast that myself and Lauren are a part of, along with our friends Spider One and Chrissy Fox. It's called Bleeder's Digest. It's an original narrative horror anthology podcast. The stories are completely self-contained, and many feature guest narrators and performers from your favorite horror and genre projects. Some include Bonnie Aarons. We had Sarah Paxton from The Innkeepers and Last House on the Left, Bill Mosley. You can find that everywhere you get your podcasts. Bleeder's Digest, that's D-I-E-G-E-S-T. All right, this time around on The Boo Crew. You are joined by award-winning filmmakers David Blue Garcia and Fetty Alvarez, one of the writers and the director behind Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Take a look inside the mayhem as you tear into the script origins and where this fits into the original storyline. Find out what original prop from the first film was on set. This will blow your mind. Orchestrating the -the off-the-rails gore and so much more. Episode 299 with David Blue Garcia and the maestro Fetty Alvarez starts now. This is hard, Steve. Dolly? I'm afraid your old friend's back. 50 years I've been waiting for this night. Just to see him again. Who? Leatherface. Looks like it's you that he wants. I'm not gonna let him kill you. Fear no evil. Fear no evil. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Hey, David and Fetty, how's it going, man? I feel like I'm I'm on autopsy every week. <laughs> Fetty, I got my my Evil Dead sweater from the uh, Mystic Museum uh, exhibit that's happening in Burbank, and I saw your uh, Naturum Demonto hanging out in there. And uh, if you don't miss it, we'll we'll take it and, and keep it here for you. <laughs> I was already asking about it. Where's my fucking book? <laughs> going. I was like, okay, good. All right, you guys. We'll do an introduction. Uh, swearing is okay. You guys know how it goes. So joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are two of the most compelling and exciting filmmakers out there. First off, a truly gifted Emmy award-winning writer, director, and cinematographer who is highly regarded for his work on hundreds of national TV spots and commercials. 2018 saw the release of his own feature-length debut, Tejano, 
that took the Audience Award at DIFF as a DP. He's got over six indie features under his belt, including one of our faves, the exceptional jury prize winning Bloodfest, which is fucking amazing. We also welcome back creator of the six-time award-winning Juggernaut 2013's Evil Dead, the immersive acrobatic exercise in tension and suspense known as the Don't Breathe films and the groundbreaking Emmy-winning TV series Calls released just this past year. A genius writer, director, and producer who seems hell-bent on pushing the audience as far as they can possibly go and then some, and we love them for it. The new film is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, available exclusively on Netflix February 18th. It is our esteemed honor to welcome its director, David Blue Garcia, and its writer, the maestro Fetty motherfucking Alvarez. Yeah! Yeah. <laughs> you guys, what a, God. What an intro, geez. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the insanity. You guys yeah. gave this franchise a tremendous kick in the ass. This thing is out of control. Yep. Congratulations. We are all such massive fans of the original 1974 film in ways that you have no idea. And we have so many questions for the both of you. So, David, first off with you, what is your personal history and relationship as a viewer with the original? Toby Hooper, 74 film. Well, you know, like growing up in Texas uh, and discovering the movie, like for the first time, uh, it was like late at night on cable. It, it came on. And I remember, I remember watching the movie and just not knowing what it was. It was kind of like pseudo documentary, like a kind of felt like a you know snuff film or something like that. And uh, when, when Leatherface came on screen, I got so scared. I turned off the TV um, you know, only two moments later, turn it back on and, and finish the film. But it was a movie I didn't want to watch again for a long time. And mainly it's because growing up in Texas, I mean, I grew up in the country uh, on a dirt road. And, you know, a lot of the houses I would see off the road kind of looked like that house. So um, it, it, it really hit close to home. So anything to add to that with your experience, Fede? I mean, I watched it as a kid as well. Like, um, but I mean, I was probably 13, something like that. And, you know, at the same time that I was watching Evil Dead for the first time. And it's kind of a similar experience. It's like it's, the pleasure of it is knowing that you're not supposed to be watching it. Right. And, and, uh, and be really curious about why, why did they, why did the guy in the video store give, give it, give you that look when he gave it to you? Like, <laughs> like too young for this shit. Uh, and then usually, you know, discovering that yeah, the holy writer should have done it and kind of be bath in shame after you watched it because you know your parents knew you're watching that shit. Who knows what would they do to you? So it's, it's, that was a that's my my memory of that film. To to be in another one, a little bit like Evil Dead, where I was like, oh shit, I should have not done that. You know, regret <laughs> it right away. I was young for it, right? And then it's I, like you're embarrassed that your parents are going to walk <laughs> in on you, right? Yeah, older audience like you know with the years and seeing what a master what's a man what a masterpiece is yeah no it really is and then yeah. Fetty, talk a bit about just you and roto coming up with the story idea uh, we're unaware how this kind of thing works is this something what you guys have been working on as a passion project to pitch or were you asked to come up with a concept we you know we were invited to 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 you know to participate i mean kim henkel and the studio and legendary just came to us and asked us, Hey guys, do you want to help us like, like this one? And, um, and we said, fuck yeah. I mean, you know, who was going to say no to that particularly mostly because I think as, as fans we were a bit disappointed through, you know, with the last movies that the franchise put out there, you know, they have some of them have their merits, but it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to see as an audience. And I think the, the only reason why we always got involved with this films or whatever film is, 
as a fan, you, you, this is what you want, you know, it's the only chance to, 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 have, to create the movie you want to see, you know, to at least push in a direction you want to see at, at, in the theaters, right? In the audience, is that any movie, that, that's what we do. So, you know, no difference here. Like when they told us, they're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's see what we can do. With and we really thought also like uh, given what was happening in the United States and America the last few years, that clash between the countryside and the city was so relevant again so it felt like you know it wasn't going to be just for the sake of, of going back to that character you know to letterface and, and that world but mostly to just i thought it was going to be ripe to to talk about today in a way like in a very way we're talking about today what did you not want i mean you're, you're saying give the give the film kind of the fans would want to see what was that experience that you craved that you found wasn't uh, being paid as much attention to on some of the other films and that unique spin you kind of wanted to bring this new one yeah I mean, look i i think there, there's a level of madness that the original franchise had you know and of course you know you know we have to split hairs here right but there's this was my concern it's just and you can see this a bit in ways, but there's two franchises that takes the same. So there's the original that runs from the very beginning to the last one before Nispel took it, right? When Nispel takes it into that in the early 2000s, and, and that was a read with a different character with a different last name. It kind of changes. But this is this is kind of connects in a way reconnects with the original franchise, which is completely bananas, right? And insane. And and you could you know technically he never dies. I mean you could argue at the end of part two he dies with a grenade, but you never really see him. So then, and then at the beginning of each one, each, each of those movies, there was a disclaimer saying like, unfortunately, I was still alive and out there. So that, that kind of continues this. This story, it can be seen in a way as a continuation of all that. Like it, it doesn't override any of them, but it's part of the original franchise the way we see it. And also because King, Kim Henkel was involved and, and you know, and, and the creation of the story, I think we it, it felt for us that we were like really in canon of that original batch of like crazy movies right that they made with this franchise right right and then david how did you get involved in all this insanity that was happening uh well it happened pretty quick for me and uh you know when um when i heard that you know fede uh was looking to bring on a texas director um you know i think uh you know he watched my movie tejano uh, and then the second question he asked me was like how long was my hair because he needed, <laughs> he needed to make sure I had horror hair. You gotta have long hair during horror movies. And so uh, I passed the test, and uh, you know the rest is history. David, one of the things that you notice right off the bat is there's all sorts of amazing cinematic things that you did with this world that harken back to the ingenuity and invention of the original. There's this stunning split die-after sequence in the farm field for one. As a DP yourself as well. What was your overall vision, not only for the tone, but the aesthetic for this adventure? Well, we, we talked a lot with uh, the DP Rick Diaz about like the style we wanted to bring to the film. Um, you know, we wanted to update, update the style, you know, of the original, the original is a little rough around the edges, mostly to do because of its budget. Um, and, uh, but we wanted it to, to feel like sort of elevated grindhouse, you know, we wanted it to feel gritty and, and sort of shaky camera sometimes. Um, but we still also wanted to use like slick cinematography techniques as well. Um, to up, so we kind of mixed it up quite a bit. Um, we also wanted to make it really colorful um, because we noticed the original film is very colorful and saturated and the blues really pop and the reds really pop. Um, so we wanted to go back to that look rather than rather than doing like a bleach bypass kind of like desaturated look that came with a Nispel version in the, in 2003. Um, so, I mean, I watched the original, uh, right before I made this, 
I watched Fede's movie again, Evil Dead, and then I watched the original. Uh, and so those were the last two movies I watched. And, you know, this is what came out. So that, kind of yeah, it's a, of it. yeah, it's a perfect yeah. description. The gore in this film is next level. Was there ever a point where you said, oh my gosh, this is too intense. We got to dial it back. (laughs) Or was there anything else that you left out that was just even more crazier? I can't even imagine crazier. It was all Fede telling me to dial it up. He was like, you need to go further yeah. with the floor. This is what people want, you know? So we were always just kind of cranking the dial and seeing how far we could push it. I don't think, Fede, we had to pull anything back too much in the editing room, if you remember. No, right. no. We never said it's too much. Yeah. Words, you know, there's never too much blood in this dojo. That was the whole thing. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> we got to get shirts that say that, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, David, this movie is, I mean, loaded with some fantastic kills. What were some of the challenges on crafting these insane kills that Chris Roto and Fede conjured up in the script? Yeah, I mean, the challenges is that, you know, the the message is like, let's do as much practical as we can. Let's get it in camera because that's how it feels real. That's how it connects with audiences because people can sense whether it's like practical or whether it's just kind of created in a computer later and just kind of tacked on. Um, so um, it, the challenge is trying to do that. And, you know, that's a magic trick, right? To like put the camera in the right place to hide the apparatus. You know, the, you got a, an actor wearing a fake prosthetic arm that's going to crack in half and bleed and stuff like that. And so um, Fede was really good at sort of mentoring me through that process since he's done it so much and preparing me for the patience you need to sort of like stop and wait and reset to get it right, you know, and just keep keep doing takes until you get it right. That's a big thing people don't see is like, for, you know, for me, it's easy. Obviously, it was easy to say, yeah, let's just go practical when you're not doing it, because David then is the one that is there on the trenches and you have no idea. Uh, I mean, the director has two choices there. You can go CG blood or just like really, you know, come up with some simple effects that most people might not even notice. And that way you do, you know, you do three, four takes in, in, a, in a couple hours and you're out, out of that set and, 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 you, and you're not drenching blood yourself then the option two is the one that that you go everything goes practical and and you there's blood everywhere and and after every take you have to wait you know a long time and maybe you'll get one take in one hour and then another take in the second hour because everything into blood to reset those sets back to normal after you did one take is 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 impossible so it's always hard to just really clean up and go back so the director really you know i think the merit here is incredible like how you put yourself through that pain of like really having to make it to take the long laborious road and and that i think it translates into the screen you can feel that you know when the really when the hard way um when you could definitely go the easy way and again, there will be a part of the audience in my notice, but I think the part that, that I love, that section of the audience that I love, the true fans, they, they, they notice and they care and they hate CG blood and stuff like that. So, yeah, we, like we had a, we had a whole cleanup team just to come in with mops to clean up the blood for like the bus massacre sequence, because it would get so full oh, of blood God. at the end of those takes that people were <laughs> sticking like, you couldn't yeah. walk through it without just falling. So it was like a safety thing to come and get get all the bu- blood up, mopped up. So the Boo Crew will be right back. Hello, is anybody home? Sally, I hear something. Stop! Oh, please, please, please help! The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. From New Line Cinema, rated R. No one under 17 admitted without parent or guardian. 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Talking about that bl- that bus sequence scene, you see a little bit of it in the trailer, and it's just cr- crazier in the in the feature film itself. The choreography that went into that scene must have been spectacular. Was that shot as one continuous series of events that all had to be reset? How, what the fuck went into that? <laughs> I mean, we shot in there for three to four days, and it was a combination of like really, uh, you know, moments that were storyboarded and specific kills and specific moments. And a lot of just kind of organized chaos where I just, um, I let, you know, Leatherface go through with the chainsaw and just start swinging. And we had three to four guys with blood cannons hidden throughout the crowd, just, you know, spraying up blood. Um, you know, eventually it was just kind of raining from the ceilings It had just sort of collected, like condensated on the ceiling. Um, so it was, it was pretty wild. So it was a bit of chaos and a bit of planning. Oh my God. And what about building your unique leather face? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear, uh, Fede, Fede was, you know, we were super involved in constructing the mask and, and I know that, you guys were using like traditional sculpture, um, actually like sculpting in clay to come up with that look, which is really cool. Yeah. I think because, but, uh, that, that was part of the process that we did even during the writing, we, we got it very early into the, into that stage of development of trying to find a new look. Like it, it's it, obviously it, it's not easy to come up with a new, with something new that, you know, that doesn't feel like it's too detached from the original also, like I think Nispel's one had some like pretty scary fucking masks there, but but they all fell in a way too genre, too unrealistic, you know, so scary that it felt weird that it was that was real. So the approach was to go very crude um, and uh, and grounded and 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 really trying to find out how does a face looks like if you just cut it out of someone and you just put it on your face and just like that by just stretching it and what he does in the movie let if he just cut, carve a couple of holes in, in in cheeks and just put them behind his ears so that's how he keep it on and then it's just like you know baked in, into his own skin and under the sun so that usually would end up in something not very stylized would end up in something that is kind of mess and it's like a it feels like it has a droopy eye and, and like a big mouth like it, but that's that that i think it what's connected with the original and the original, he has obviously many faces, but but um, Bill also product some of the changes of product of the low budget and like there's no way to keep that mask intact and good shape throughout the shooting. So th- that that this mask here had that vibe. It, it was always trying to do to really try to make it as realistic and grounded as possible and end up to being terrifying. It's a true face. It was it was carved back based on the face of the character that plays the the lady that runs the orphanage. So that face was translated to him. So we we really went through the motions as if we would have done it for real, right? And that that was the spirit to really be grounded as grounded as possible and not stylized. Casting uh, Mark Burnham as Leatherface, what was it about him that made you guys realize he's the guy for this iconic character? He, he came also very early in the process, I think. He came by the office. I don't like, I think we had a couple, it was two or three guys, I think that was in the last, you know, and the runner uppers. And I remember like we did this camera test at our office. It was, it was beautiful. It was just um, such a moment for me, at least, you know, and everybody involved at that point to have, to see this guy walk into, you know, in front of the camera for the first test 
And uh, I think I had my assistant that just walked in and, and stand next to him just for comparison and size. And I was like, oh, this guy's big. And also he was he was the closest to to in age, uh, you know, to what Letterface will be in a way, right? I was doing the math of the original, assuming he's a teenager on the original film, right? The, there was something about that that just made him perfect for it. And also he had like the most bizarre hands, right, David? Didn't he have like the kind of freaky arms and hands that are, at least with what caught my eye. Yeah. So he did. It was going to be great. And what kind of work went into this, like this exciting, uh, he's kind of like the John Wick of chainsaws now, right? He's throwing them on the ground. He's doing all sorts of inventive stuff with the chainsaw. Or what about, uh, what the, talk about the choreography of getting all that down. Let's talk about the Dick Cheney, um, which is uh, one of the kills that Fede have come up with. And I'm sure you'll recognize it if you watch the movie. <laughs> he's, he's very creative, uh, Leatherface. Yeah. Uh, chainsaw bowling, uh, curling, if you will. Um, I don't know, you know, it's just, uh, it was just a lot of fun to figure out, you know, how he was going to do some creative kills and, you know, he's, he's too lazy. He's too old to run across the room. So he's just going to throw the chainsaw. You know what I mean? That's just, it just kind of came out of like the idea of he's a little bit older now. Um, so it made sense to come up with those concepts. And what about the chainsaw itself? We go back to the the yellow original looking chainsaw. Was there much uh, research that goes into that as far as bringing something so iconic back? Did you research the exact model and go through all that or just use some yellow chainsaw? We, we have the same chainsaw like Kim Henkel sent the original chainsaw to our office at the very beginning. So and I believe that chainsaw was on set as well. Like it, it, it is actually the same change. I mean, obviously there's usually multiples, but uh, I'm uh, again sure that that's the same exact model as the original movie. And probably David did, did in camera, did the original from the original movie, did it ever made it, uh, you know, behind the lens? The, the one that I had, the vintage chainsaw on set, I used it all the time. Whenever we needed a close up of the chainsaw running or just, you know, something that wasn't a stunt or, you know, no, but uh, even when he's on the bus and he starts it up, that's that's the one. That's the old school one. And it's, uh, it, it was so, uh, cantankerous. We, it, it was really hard to start. Sometimes it wouldn't start on a day. It just decided not to, maybe it was too cold out there. I don't know. Um, but once you got it started, it would go and it would produce so much smoke that if, if we did it indoors, like we could only run it for like a minute or two before the whole set was hazy and like people were coughing, you know? So <laughs> we had, we had very short takes with this thing. And, uh, I, I mean, I like to say that if in reality, if he had gone onto the bus and started that thing up and just stood there for a minute, everyone would have died of asphyxiation. So he would he could have saved himself a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> David, one of, one of the characters that really pops is Alice Creech's character. She really captures that magic that the characters in the original film had, like Edwin Neal did with the hitchhiker or Paul Partain did with Franklin. What was the experience like of capturing that performance from her? I mean, she just was, she came on, you know, um, relatively short notice and she was just such a professional and just had so many great ideas and just jumped right into the character. And I got to work with her on set and kind of learn from her um, because, you know, I, I, she's been around for so long and she's been in so many amazing films. So um, for me, it's a real honor to work with actors like that um, because you're always learning. You're, it's like you're a student and you just sort of watch, you know, just watch and you, you can give them tips and things like that on what you're looking for, but they, you know, they, they really take it. Um, they take it on their own. So it's great. 
And then Fetty, that inclusion of that character, I love because it opens up a lot. There's a lot of possibilities with her, this this uh, this character of Virginia. To avoid spoiler territory, is she, would you say, a relative to the Sawyer family? Is there, is there part of more of an overall storyline that you have mapped out that is still to come perhaps with her? You mean uh, the character they would call Mama? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, it's basically, I mean, she's been running that orphanage for a long time. Um, the way we saw it from a story standpoint is like, because you see a photo of Letterface, of young Letterface on a photo that they have, the picture that she has on the walls there, like a, an old picture uh, from the late 70s, um, you know, probably early 70s. Well, it will be, yeah, late 70s. And, um, and the, the logic for me is that Letterface, after the crimes of the original movie, just ran away, got into that place. Um, she took pity on him. He saw that he was mentally challenged and, and scared and probably did some terrible things and kind of took him in, right? Took him in under, under her wing. Probably, you know, because I think a lot of the movies that happen after one, I think still happen. He probably escaped, you know, like, you know, he was in and out of that place for a long time. You know, he was probably, oh, here goes again, you know, young little face just, just ran away and, um, and he'll be back probably in a few weeks again, covering blood. I think she probably gave him enough chances, you know, as many chances as movies happen. And then it got to a point that he, he settled down, right? I think he just stayed there and, all the kids grew up and he was the last one and and he's been he's been a good boy i mean for a long time and and mama is trying to keep him there it's been trying to keep him in that place um unfortunately i think he reads the events uh, in a different way and and you know he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't do what she would have preferred him to do which is to stay put and be a good boy like she asked him to be but it's not it's not your real mother i don't think she likes the sawyers i don't think she's a bad lady i think she's a really good lady as far as her relationship with him, she hasn't been doing anything bad, anything wrong. Um, uh, and she hasn't, at least she doesn't want him to kill. She has been maybe too forgiven, you know, for him. With him. Uh, that's, that's probably one of her many sins, but, uh, but definitely that's one, like she's been too forgiven. Uh, but, uh, but I don't think she likes the story. No. And where, so where are things now with the rights and Kim Henkel and Legendary and what the possibilities are for more sequels and maybe seeing a, Maybe seeing your version of Chop Top again uh, back in this, in this franchise, which would be great. But yeah, what's what's going on with the rights? Well, I think you know, it's, it, I think it's all up in you know, it's all pending how how people uh, receive this one. Like like always, I think if it comes out and and people dig it, uh, I'm sure you know there will be more. I mean, uh, I, I think that's the plan always. Like to, I think there's so many places you can go, mostly insane places. I think that's. But I think it's on the DNA of this franchise. You can never be too conservative with it. It has to be creative and insane. And, and, and that, that's what I, at least what I will do, you know, for um, thinking a story level for, for our next, uh, you know, installment. He's a machine, man. Oh, you guys yeah, did so yeah. fantastic. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> yes. us, David. This yeah. continues, and I know it will. You are the man for this, and congrats. Thank you, guys. That was the Brew Crew Podcast, episode 299. Special thanks to our guests, David Blue Garcia and Fetty Alvarez. The time of release, their new film, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is available on Netflix Friday, February 18th. 
production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's Trevor for the Blue Crew saying, Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.